Well, I tell you what, y'all take up the offering after a song like that, shouldn't you? Thanks for Nada and choir and band. We're going to talk about Abraham this morning. Abraham was a called a friend of God. And I, I want us to look at Abraham in a context of a breakthrough in prayer. This prayer was... Uh, not answered the way that Abraham would have liked for it to have been answered. But yet he was persistent in prayer. Francis Schaeffer said, our only hope is in the radical stance. Now before we get into the text and before we look at this message in depth, I want to share with you why this message weighs heavily with me. Because I need to ask you as a church family to be more persistent in praying than you have ever been. No matter how much praying you do or have done, I need to ask you to step it up another notch. We are in an intense time in the life of our church with a lot of opportunities. And with opportunities always comes opposition. The enemy never stands still when the church is moving forward. He always pushes back. And there are a number of things that are on our horizon. One is, as we wrap up generations in the next few months and we look to a new uh, building uh, campaign program to pay our debt down and to hopefully get all our old debt paid off, that's coming on the horizon. There's a lot of work to be done. A lot of people will be involved in that. You need to pray for them. You need to begin praying now about your part in that. In less than a month, we'll be at Refreshing the Smokies. The first year we had Refreshing the Smokies, we had 28 people. I was believing God for 300. Shows you what my prayer life's like. When I walked into the third year, I was ready to cancel the conference because I said, God, three years... And in three years, if this thing doesn't catch on, then we'll shut it down. Last year, we had over 100. This year, we have over 200. And we have about 60 pastors that are coming, nine pastors coming from Pennsylvania that are either bivocational or small church pastors, all of them on the verge of quitting their ministries. We have a number of pastors coming from the Atlanta area. One pastor in Atlanta raised enough money to pay for every pastor in his association to come to the Refresh Conference. So we're going to have an opportunity and yet the great responsibility of ministering to about 60 pastors, many of them hurting and wondering if they're going to stay with it and keep their hands to the plow. God needs to do a fresh work in their heart and for that to happen, he needs to have us ready for what he wants to do and And we need to have a fresh work in our own hearts, those of us who are going to be a part of that. So I'm asking you to pray for a refresh in the Smokies. And I'm asking you to pray for the Pastors Conference, which is coming up in June. And I've shared this with you some, and I share it with you for a reason, because I need you to partner with me in praying for that Pastors Conference. There'll be somewhere between 4,500 and 6,500 pastors That will be in that pastor's conference at any given time, probably up to 10,000 
between the four sessions. Most of them are in churches that run less than 150. Most of them, they're the only person on the staff. They open the church, they turn the air on, the lights on, they close the church, they have to fix everything, they're on call all the time. They never get a break. Some of them have to spend their own money to come to the Southern Baptist Convention to represent their church because their church is too tight to pay them anything to help their pastor go and represent them. And so they end up eating at McDonald's instead of eating at a nice place because nobody in their church has a vision for doing anything for their pastor. I've asked Life Action Ministries, which is one of the key revival ministries in America, to staff a prayer room the entire time that we're at the pastor's conference to be praying for pastors. They will bring in people from all around this country to pray for the pastors who are there in that room that God would move on their hearts. We're going to have a 40-day prayer emphasis leading up to the pastor's conference where pastors from all over the country can go online and see a devotional every day for 40 days, getting their hearts ready for what God might do. I've been to the pastor's conference every year when I go to the convention, I mainly go to the pastor's conference because I don't care for business meetings and committee reports. And so I try not to sit through much of that unless I have to. But a lot of times it's just been one preacher trying to out-preach another preacher. My responsibility this year is to pick 14 men who will preach to those thousands of pastors and have a word to say to them. It is with great fear and trembling that I do that. Because I just don't want to get a person because they know how to preach. I want people who have a word from God. And have something to say to those pastors. And so I'm about three slots short of filling those spots. I've gotten letters from people who have invited themselves to come speak on the program. I've gotten letters from people who have told me they've always wanted to preach at the pastor's conference and never had the ability to do it and that I should do it. I've had people recommend everything you can imagine, including a few dog and pony shows. I've had concert artists that have felt led to offer their services to us so that they can have exposure. I've had to say no to a lot of people. I spent almost 10 hours this week in phone calls about the pastor's conference talking about what happens. We have to raise $100,000 outside of this church to pay for that event. Most people think that the Southern Baptist Convention pays for that event. They don't. So it is my responsibility to raise $100,000 outside of this church, not asking you for it but to try to raise $100,000 to pay so that we can pull off that conference. But that's not the most important thing. If we get through Monday night and we haven't met with God, here's what I believe. This is my humble and accurate opinion, which I highly respect. Those five to 6,000 pastors will influence somewhere between three to five million people the next Sunday when they stand up to preach in their churches. I believe this is such a critical year. It's an election year. Who gets elected president will determine the kind of judges we get 
on moral and ethical issues. Listen to me, folks. I believe that if God doesn't move at the Southern Baptist Convention Pastors Conference and if there's not brokenness and revival, I think it will be the beginning of the judgment of God on us like we've never seen it before. Because if churches don't get right, tell me one reason why God should spare America from more trouble. Judgment begins at the house of God. And we have to be right. And we cannot pat ourselves on the back and talk about how great we are as Southern Baptists and we're 16 million strong when in reality we're about 2 million strong and 14 million we can't find anywhere. We can't pat ourselves on the back and say we're a great missions organization. We talk about evangelism, but there will be no increase in evangelism until the church gets right. And that begins with prayer. And so Monday night, uh, Johnny Hunt will preach, Daniel Simmons will preach, and Tom Elliff will preach on prayer. And we're going to call pastors to establish prayer ministries in their church and to be praying pastors and to get praying groups around them. Monday mornings on brokenness. Monday morning, and by the way, you're the first to know this. Even the guys who are asking me who's speaking don't know this. Monday morning, I've asked George Harris to share about the motorcycle accident he had where they had to literally rebuild his entire face. And he had to have a trach and he had to be fed through a tube for six months. His whole jaw wired shut, every bone, every part of his jaw completely broken, his nose completely broken, his eye sockets broken. I mean, it's a miracle he's alive. I've asked Ed Litton to share, whose wife was killed in a car wreck last year in about July. Ask him to share as a pastor about losing his wife at 49 years of age. There's two more that I will ask at some point. Monday afternoon will be on revival. Jimmy Draper will kick that uh, off. And then Bill Stafford will be preaching at that and a couple other people that you probably don't know. And then Monday night, uh, Charles Lowry would talk about how to reach lost people because Charles pastored in a non-Bible belt area for 10 years and baptized 300 people a year. Most of those were adults. And Jay Strack will end the night talking about how we reach young people for Christ. And I'm sharing this with you because I need you to pray and I need you to bathe this in prayer. I don't need you to just say, Lord, bless the pastor's conference, amen. I need you to bathe this in prayer. And what I'm going to talk about this morning and what I'm going to talk about next Sunday morning, I think are crucial to this happening. We need God to show up in a big time significant way. We need God to show up in such a way that these guys are not worried about, if I miss the last speaker, I can beat the crowd to the best restaurant down the street. We need God to show up in such a way that the guys that think they don't need it realize they need it. We need God to show up so that there's repentance and there's righteousness and there's a sense of the presence of God that we leave from that place aflame with the glory of God. I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of guys that have been president of this thing. By the way, we're the smallest church that's ever held held this responsibility. 
But I believe so much that the history and the future of our country and of our denomination lies with pastors. That's why I've asked you for 18 years to help me influence pastors. Because when a pastor goes down, everything about that church is hurt. And when a pastor falls or leaves the ministry, everybody he's influenced is impacted. And so I need you to pray and to be before God on my behalf, on Jim's behalf, as he's planning logistics, on Brian's behalf, as he's working on all the technology stuff, on Mark's behalf, as he's putting together the music, because we have a huge opportunity, but it is an incredible and overwhelming responsibility. Any one of the things I've mentioned to you would require all of our attention. They're all three on top of each other. And so from now to June, it's crunch time. I mean, we're at the fourth quarter, and we got two minutes to go, and we don't have any timeouts left. we we got to move the ball. And to do that, we don't need folks in the stand saying, what's going to happen? We need you to help us make it happen. So with that in mind, I want us to look at Abraham for a few moments. And I want to begin with this statement by Matthew Henry. Whenever Abraham had a tent, God had an altar. You can trace the life of Abraham by the altars that he built. You can follow the life of Abraham by the altars that he left behind. Everywhere Abraham went, he built an altar. And I would submit to you this morning that an altar, A-L-T-A-R, can alter, A-L-T-E-R, your life. When we have an altar, it will alter not only our lives, but the lives of the people that we're influencing and we're impacting. And you can trace people's lives by a lot of things. You can trace them by photo albums and by the vacations that they take or their purchases. Sometimes you can trace them by the dumb decisions that they make. But Abraham's life, you can trace by his altars. And he was called a friend of God. Now, why was he called that? Number one, he had a right attributes. He had right attributes. Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him righteousness. The attribute that we have to have in prayer is believing prayer, believing in God, not believing in prayer, but believing in the God who we're praying to. Grabbing hold of God and finding out what it is that God wants. Next Sunday, we're going to talk about how to grab hold of God and see God move and answer in a way that you're asking Him to work in. So he had the right attributes. Secondly, he had the right attitude. Abraham didn't say, well, you know, if, if you're about to burn up Sodom and Gomorrah, I, I need to get out of here. I need to put my house on the market. I, I mean, I need to move away because property values are going to go down. He got concerned about the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Whatever you can say about the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, you can say this. They did not die because of a lack of praying. They did not face judgment because the believer of the time didn't care about them. And thirdly, he had the right approach. He prayed. He didn't call the mayor. He didn't call the city council and say, you know, y'all need to know that there's some things about to happen. He prayed. And whatever happens... 
in this church, in your life, in our denomination, among the Christian community in America, and in this nation. Whatever happens will be largely tied to whether we are a praying people or not. So Genesis 18 is the first extended prayer in the Bible. In verse 17, the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. For I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. And the Lord said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. You know, the angels appeared to Abraham, verse 22. Then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom, while Abraham was still standing before the Lord. And then you know the prayer of Abraham. He prays, Lord, if you could find 50 righteous, if you could find 40 righteous, would you spare it? And he gets all the way down to 10. So how do we become persistent in prayer until God says, stop right there. First of all, breakthroughs and intercession are based on the understanding of partnership. God partners with his people in the realm of prayer. Unlike anything else, God partners with us. He, he allows us to talk to him and then he speaks to us. That's what he does to Abraham. Should I hide this from Abraham? He's using language of accommodation. He reveals to Abraham what he sees going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. He opens Abraham's eyes to see what is there and what is coming. He tells Abraham, this is about to happen. And he does it for the purpose of getting Abraham to pray. To getting Abraham to seek his face. You see the quote there by Andrew Murray in your notes. If we felt intercession was the most important part of our work, the securing of God's presence and power in full measure, then our hours of work would be subordinate to this one thing. Abraham is called a friend of God. He's called that in Chronicles. He was called that in James, a friend of God. He says, how can I hide from my friend what I'm about to do? Prayer is a partnership. And throughout Abraham's life, God initiated this contact with him. The Lord said to Abraham, the Lord appeared to Abraham, God taking the initiative. You say, well, that's Abraham. He was a friend of God. That's not us. Well, John 15, verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. Now 2,000 years on this side of the cross, we know that Jesus is coming back. We know that this world is headed for judgment. We know that America is not in the book of Revelation. Now, that's for one or two reasons. America is not in the book of Revelation, either because we have become a second-rate country that has no power, which is the path we are headed on, or we have had a great revival and we do not participate in the war against Israel. 
It could only be one of two things. We will either be inconsequential or we will be in the midst of what God has done. And if that happens, if there's a great revival and Jesus comes, then let's say that half of America in a great revival could be raptured out. Then America would have no forces to bring to bear in a war against Israel. Just a thought. We know what's coming. And Abraham knew what was coming, and we know where it's headed. So why should we tune our hearts and minds and and hear God? Because we have been redeemed by Him. We've been created by Him. We've been empowered by Him. We've been equipped by Him with the Holy Spirit so that we are in a position to partner with God in the things that are on the heart of God and the mind of God. Psalm 25 verse 14 says, The secret of the Lord is for those who fear Him, and He will make them know His covenant. Amos 3, 7 says, Surely the Lord God does nothing unless He reveals His secret to His servants, the prophet. Let me ask you, can God tell you a secret? Can God, because of your intimacy with Him, whisper in your heart and bear down on your spirit to where you know that something's on the horizon and it burdens you to go deeper in the Lord with prayer? William Clowes says, those who get to know God face to face see the dark line in his face. Revelation is a responsibility and God's prerogative is to speak to us and our responsibility is to respond to what he says to us. You you don't have to be a rocket scientist. You don't have to be a a social scientist to realize that our nation is in trouble. Our schools are in trouble. Our families are in trouble. Our homes are in trouble. Our society is in trouble. We We are on the verge of a recession. Listen, God is trying to get our attention. And the church is singing in the sweet by and by, we shall meet on that beautiful shore. God is trying to wake us up that He still has work that He wants to do in this society. He still has work that He wants to do in this world. The only reason that Jesus has not come back yet is there is work still to be done and people still to be saved. And so we need to get about the business of what God's concerned about. Because we are on the verge of worldwide issues. And the church has to seize her moment while she's got it. So God prompts him to pray. Now before this, Abraham was only concerned about himself. You know, what about that son you promised me? What about that son you promised me? What about that son you promised me? He was only concerned about himself. Now God moves him into a new dimension. And he says, now Abraham, I've taken care of that issue with your son. We've already talked about that. Now I want to talk to you about others. I want to talk to you about people you don't even know. I want to talk to you about people you haven't even met. And so look at who's covered in his prayer. First of all, the family and the faithful. The family and the faithful. His nephew Lot was going to be affected by this. Why do we do generations? Why do we build an upward sports complex? Why do we make movies? Because family and faithful people need to be encouraged and they're affected by what we do or don't do. He, he knew that Lot was in a wicked city. Now, we know that Lot was a believer. He doesn't look much like a believer, 
But he's called in the New Testament righteous lot by Simon Peter. And so he prays for the family and the faithful. John Wesley often left his bed in the middle of the night to pray for his congregation. I've been in Wesley's prayer room. I've been in in the room where he slept and his prayer altar is right there by a window. And, And I've walked in that room. And even today, hundreds of years after Wesley's death, you can sense that that's holy ground. Because of the prayers that were prayed in that room. And somebody came to Wesley and they were concerned about his health and they were concerned about him not getting any sleep. And they said, sir, you need to, you need to not worry so much. And Wesley said, I have the souls of 3,000 to answer for. And I do not know how it is with many of them. So we pray for other churches. We pray for our family who will be affected by what happens in this culture. Secondly, he prayed for the lost. The wicked who were about to incur the wrath of God. Now what Abraham could have done, Abraham could have said, you know those people in Sodom and Gomorrah, they deserve it. And they did. But so do you and I. So do you and I. We deserve hell. We got something we didn't deserve. Grace and mercy. And so when he looks at those people, Abraham knows somehow God stirs in his heart. That could be me. I could have been there if God had not called me out. That could be me. And so he begins to pray for the lost. These people that had become vile in their behavior. And God shows himself to Abraham to get him to intercede. To spare a city. He's looking for 50, for 40, for 30, for 20, for 10 righteous people. But at the same time, he's saying, if I can find that many, we could spare all those other people. And they could be spared from the judgment of God. 1 Timothy 2.4 God desires that all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. 2 Peter 3.9 It's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. One man said, if the church would only awaken to her responsibility of intercession, we could well evangelize the world in a short time. When we are called to pray for the lost, we are called to cooperate with God in the moving of the Holy Spirit on people's lives so that they can come to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. John White says the phrase, if it be thy will is more often than not a cop-out. It means I don't have to come to grips with God. I need not bother to find out what God's will is, nor do I have to exercise faith in the character of the invisible God who works miraculously in the face of impossible odds. Sodom means nothing to us except it's someplace by the Dead Sea. That got burned up. But to Abraham, it meant family and friends and lost people. I've had three conversations in the last two weeks with pastors, not associated with pastors' conference, just with pastors about them and their churches. And I want to tell you, I I, I leave there and I just want to go crawl in bed and pull the covers over my head. 
had a conversation with a pastor this week from this area. And he said, I just need to talk to somebody. The first thing he was told not to talk to me because Sherwood doesn't care about anybody but themselves. But he had enough sense to not believe what somebody told him. He just picked up the phone and called. And so we had breakfast together, spent two hours together one morning. He said, the only children in my church are my children. There are no other children in my church. And I grieved because there are children living in the neighborhood. There are children in schools close by. But I can tell you there are pastors in this community that you could get to their churches in 10 to 15 minutes on a Sunday who are fighting battles with people who, would, who are just about, they might as well build a billboard and put it on the front of the church. Let Albany go to hell. We don't want young people and children in this church because we want to run it and we want it to be for us. Let them all go to hell. They would rather have the young people in this community bust hell wide open than to do anything to try to reach those young people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, they'll come in here and they'll be dressed and they'll look and they're going to have piercings and they're going to have all that. Oh, we don't want that kind of stuff in our church. Well, let them go to hell then. Why don't you just go out on the school and just put up a sign and stand there on the corner and say, y'all all go to hell. We don't care. By the way, any church that doesn't care about its community and only cares about itself is saying to the community, you can go to hell. Because as far as the community is concerned, a church that is not interested in others is useless to God. A church, listen to me, a church that is not interested in lost people and others is useless to God. It's taking up property that needs to be sold. You can't tell me that the grace of God doesn't lead you to be concerned about somebody else. I, I say to you, I'm listening to pastors across this country, I'm listening to pastors in our community, and they just want to scream. Because they're not in churches like this, and they're not in churches where they have freedom to lead. They're run by a bunch of mean old men that want to tell them how to do everything. And when they say, how about we start something for children? Uh, that cost us money. Well, bless God. By the way, your children cost you money, didn't they? Do you, would you like the option? You know, you could not have them, and then you wouldn't have to worry about spending anything on them. Your grandchildren cost you money. You thought your kids were going to get out of your pocket one day, and they didn't. They're still in your pocket. But you don't want the option. You're glad for them to be in your pocket. Abraham got concerned about the lost. He got concerned about... Other people. Lamentations 2.11 says, My eyes fail because of tears. My spirit is greatly troubled. My heart is poured out on the earth because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. When little ones and infants faint 
in the streets of the city. A.W. Tozer said, America is laughing her way to hell. Jim Frankel, a columnist for the Cleveland Press, wrote a number of years ago, if and when American civilization collapses, historians of the future can date and look back and sneer. They entertain themselves to death. Ladies and gentlemen, this is no time for us to be unconcerned. This is no time for us to be prayerless. This is no time for us to think the church will always be here and we will always have the freedom to worship. This is no time for us to assume that as it has been, it will always be. This is a time for us to be persistent in prayer. And now you are responsible, not for just what you heard, but for what you would have heard if you had been listening to me. And if you fail to do something with this message, you will have to give an account for that on the day of judgment. Because you're here. You're not somewhere else. I'm here. I'm not somewhere else. And for some reason beyond my ability to understand, God has placed a mantle on this church that is unique. And it requires of us what is not required of people in other churches in our community, maybe not other churches in our country, because our mantle is our mantle. But we've got to have some war on the floor. <laughs> we've got to get on our knees and we've got to pray. And we've got to seek the Lord because our future is at stake. Our present is at stake. Our children are at stake. Our young people are at stake. Your grandchildren are at stake. Your family is at stake. Your lost friends are at stake. Read with me. It'll be on the screens, please. Just follow along with me as I read. Every church without a prayer meeting condemns us. Every Bible daily unopened condemns us. Every promise of God unused condemns us. Every lost neighbor condemns us. Every lost heathen condemns us. Every dry eye among us condemns us. Every unclaimed opportunity for God condemns us. Next year is not ours. Tomorrow may be too late. Unless we repent now, unless we return and fire the prayer altars now, unless we fast and weep now, woe unto us at the judgment.
church family. We need to rebuild and build some prayer altars. Would you stand with me? And this invitation is now open for you to respond to God. We won't sing. If you want to come to be a part of this church family, you can. There will be staff members here at the front. If you want to come to find Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you can. There will be staff members here to help you. We've talked about being a praying church. But we've got to be that more than we have ever been. For our families, for our future, for God's hand of blessing to be on us. Because to whom much is given, much is required. And God has given us much. God has blessed us greatly. And folks, before God can use us to impact pastors and other churches, God's got to do what He wants to do in us. So Heather's going to play softly. You can continue to come to the altar if you wish. But all of us need to be in an attitude of prayer and seeking the Lord, persistent before Him. Maybe it's a family member that you know is headed down a road of destruction. Maybe it's a friend or a co-worker making wrong choices. Maybe it's a lost neighbor or a lost work associate. God is looking for people who will partner with Him in prayer. I need you to partner with me. I need us to partner together to be the church that God can trust with a breakthrough. To be the people that God could reveal Himself to in such a way that He could use us in ways like we've never been used before. Lord God, let us be the kind of people that you can trust. 
Let us be the kind of people that you can reveal to us what's on your heart. Build in us a desire to have the kind of relationship with you that Abraham had where you couldn't hide from him what you were about to do because of your friendship with him. God, the opportunities are overwhelming. The obstacles are in our path and we need you to clear a path for us. To cut a road through. God, I pray for those pastors that I talked to this week that somehow, in just a few moments when they're standing up to preach at their 11 o'clock hour, that they will have a power that they've not known in a long time. God, that they would preach with authority and that carnal men who try to run them around would tremble in fear of the man of God that they try to abuse and use and treat like a prostitute. God, I pray for holy boldness in pulpits across America today. I pray that you would give men the spiritual guts that they need to stand and proclaim the truth and not worry about what anybody thinks. God, this is no time for wimps. It's time for men to stand up and be men and godly men to be godly. God, break down the walls and set the captives free. Reach into our schools and our neighborhoods and our homes where the enemy has gotten a foothold. And loosen the claws and the grips that he has on people's hearts and minds. The deception that he's using with children and with teenagers. Holy God of heaven. Give us a burden for our city. And for the people that dwell in it. They act like lost people because they are. They act like the devil because he's got them. Somehow, Jesus. Somehow. Move in power. Lord God. Don't let us miss what you want to do. Don't let us miss what you're trying to say. Don't let us miss the opportunity and the window that you've given us. Lord, help us to lay aside our agendas and our thoughts and our ideas.
so that Christ might be lifted up so that people would come to you so that we could see revival in our lives and in our time. God, stir in this church family a longing for something more. Not an experience, but more of you, less of me. More power, more grace, more unction, more boldness. Lord, if every other church decided today they didn't care, it does not relieve us of our responsibility. We are responsible for the 29 communities that you've placed us in in this area. We are responsible for those people. And we may very well be the difference between heaven and hell for a number of people. So give us hearts to do what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name. Amen.